The following is Episode 1, Season 2 of Workplace Champions, a CFO Thought Leader production. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. We're excited to kick off Workplace Champions Season 2. On this episode, we'll feature three different CFOs and, of course, performance management guru extraordinaire Brett Knowles. I recently reached out to Brett once more, inviting him to join us for a second season as our resident thought leader, and he very generously agreed and accepted my invitation. Our format is wonderfully simple. I share with Brett some of the compelling leadership voices we have recently featured on CFO Thought Leader, and together we explore their ideas and commentary. The CFO Thought Leaders that are featured on this Workplace Champions episode include Michelle McComb, CFO of Blue Corps, Brian Whalen, CFO of Branch, and Marcus Harder, CFO of Contentful. Now, Brett Knowles, of course, is always so spot on when he zeroes in on the strategic hotspots of what's being shared. You will not be disappointed. Episode 1, Season 2 of Workplace Champions begins after this. Hello, Jack here. I have a message for you from the folks at Sage People. Decisions about your people should be driven by data. But is your HR department still using spreadsheets to keep track of your people? It's time to move to cloud. Understand what makes your employees tick. Know your best performers or determine absence trends, all with a cloud HR and people system. Sage People empowers organizations to respond quickly and easily to changing priorities in today's shifting world of work. It means you can make sure your workforce is able to adapt while staying connected and engaged, whoever they are. Discover how to get instant insights at your fingertips. Visit us today at sageintech.com forward slash sage people. So, Brett, I've been looking forward to uh, saying these words. Welcome back. It's been too long. I think the last time we collaborated uh, was nearly two years ago. So, again, many thanks. Uh, I think we're going to have some really interesting uh, finance leader voices to share with you uh, during the course of uh, our production of uh, Workplace Champions. Uh, but first, uh, I have to ask how your world has really changed or your work week, uh, in, to be specific, and all the travel you are known to do during the course of the year. I have to believe uh, in the time of COVID here, uh, your work world has changed quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, life in the large part has changed because I find myself in my backyard staring up at airplanes, feeling jealous of other people traveling places. Uh, 
last year I logged in uh, by the end of the year 360,000 miles. So I'd flown around the world eight times as you know, helping CFOs uh, grapple with these human capital questions that we've been talking about. And so, yeah, I've not been on a plane since uh, March. I'm happy to say that uh, my first trip might be happening next week down to Atlanta and the week after that to Seoul, Korea. So uh, if that's an indication of the pulse getting back in business, um, that that's beginning to happen. But virtually, it's been hugely different. We've done so much work in the Middle East uh, since March. And I think part of it is they recognize with these new web meetings, they suddenly have access to North American leading uh, thoughts and practices around human capital management. And so because they don't have the travel costs and they know that we are now available through this new mechanism. It's been incredibly interesting, the diversity of businesses that suddenly can catch up with North American thinking. And they're taking this pause of COVID to go do so. And I think it's happening for two reasons. Reason one is they haven't been able to get access to the leadership team before. They've all been busy, but suddenly they've got available time, right? They're not in those, uh, those meetings and, and so on. And secondly, they realize that they've got to redirect the business, not only the business itself, but the human capital side of business because of COVID. And so all of a sudden this stuff is on the, on the front burner, whether you're in North America, Europe, or, or the Middle East. So it's been uh, an interesting transition. And I think, again, that genie doesn't go back in the bottle. I think we'll see a faster migration of thought leadership from North America to a global footprint. Um, you know, when we did the balance scorecard work, it took about 15 years before it hit the African continent. I'm seeing work that we're now doing around objectives and key results moving there in less than five years. So this COVID has done some bad things uh, in terms of not getting the face-to-face -face and the social uh, stress, but some great things in terms of much better global uh, thought leadership and knowledge sharing. Wow, some great observations there, Brett. Thank you. I want to I want to share one with you. You know, it's interesting. As I've interviewed CFOs over the last six months, they many of them, most of them, have been uh, recording from their home office, and there is a. It seems to be a more casual approach to everything, including their attire. Our discussions might even be more accessible. Uh, because of this sort of casual tone that I think has translated from the home environment into um, the narrative. Uh, so I, that's my observation, <laughs> and that's going to be my segue to uh, tee up our first CFO guest, who is Michelle McComb, CFO of BlueCore. Now, avid listeners of uh, CFO Thought Leader might realize we haven't featured Michelle, uh, Michelle just yet. We will. Uh, she'll be episode 646, and uh, we're looking forward to debuting her episode. She's, she's very forthright, so clear thinking, um, and I think our, our listeners are going to enjoy that episode quite a bit. Uh, but for our purposes here today, she touches on human capital, and I couldn't resist including it and sharing it with, with the listeners as well as you, Brett. Here's Michelle McComb. say this like I think it's super important 
that you have a solid foundation. So for me, I got to make sure that that foundation of, um, you know, hey, I got to, my GL's accurate. I can close the books in a timely way. I got audited financial statements. Those are super important, but as a finance leader, you're not going to get credit for them. So make them happen, get them done, and then it's got it's important to to move on to other things. And so for me, looking over the next 12 months, especially in light of COVID, I think is uh, is paying attention to the capital strategy. So hey, uh, around cash management, investments, um, what do we need to look at? Like, this is a time, should we look at acquiring a company or other companies? Um, what what do we want to do with our investments and our cash strategy? So that's, that's one side. I'm going to add to that because I think a lot of times CFOs tend, do tend to look at capital as cash. Uh, I'm one of those CFOs who look at people as a huge asset. Um, I also look after the people function at Bluecore. And I think the people strategy, especially coming through environments like COVID, is going to be extremely important of ensuring to retain, hire the right talent. Um, and especially of looking at remote, what is the, the new office environment look like? Can you tell us how that works out organizationally, your involvement uh, with talent, your involvement uh, with the workforce? When I joined Blue Corps, I came in as CFO, took the finance and accounting function. Then Fies asked if I could take the legal function and I picked up um, the security function as well. And a lot of CFOs end up, you know, picking up also the people function depending on um, size, culture, you name those kinds of things. Um, I love marrying the finance function and the people function for a lot of reasons, but they may not necessarily be obvious because I think a lot of times people think, oh, finance, they're going to be gatekeepers. Like we're not going to be able to hire people. We're not going to be able to pay them. That's not how I look at things. This, the people are such a huge asset that a lot of finance leaders don't focus on. So it is understanding people initiatives, people strategy, um, you know, are we hiring the right people? Are we retaining them in the right way? So I did recently pick up the people function at Blue Corps and I have managed the people function uh, in my career history. Um, I love it because a lot of times, well, if you think about both functions, we are supporting the entire organization. And so I like being able to have these, let's call them, you know, organizational support uh, work together uh, and, and be more unified. So when you ask me about the people function, um, I am putting together people strategy, especially in light of, not just in light of COVID, but just because I joined Blue Corps and I, I think that it is a huge element to a company's success is around the people that they hire, retain, how they motivate them, how, how like we've got initiatives like diversity, equality, inclusion, and belonging is a huge thing in light of the, let's just call it the political, social, economic situation transpire, transpiring right now. Um, I'm very passionate about those types of things. And so I love to lean into that and how better by uh, helping to lead the function uh, through things, through 
those types of challenges. What I'm wondering is, is what are you asking? What do you need to see? You want to know where there's turnover maybe in your organization or where the hires aren't working out for one reason or another, or where we're not compensating these people correctly, maybe, or there's got to be a better way. First and foremost, I kind of work from philosophies. Like, what is our compensation philosophy? You know, are we competitive? So meaning, do we pay, if I look at similar companies, are we paying employees fairly and competitively? Um, also, like, are we a merit-based company such that, like, if you excel, you can, you're going to consider, like, you, you know you're going to be compensated. And by the way, if you're mediocre, then you're not. Um, so there's, there's what I would like to say is establishing those fundamental philosophies. So one of my other kind of just how Michelle operates uh, and, and my people in finance team at Blue Core know this. Um, I'm one of those people that operate that I, you can count on me treating you fairly, equitably, and consistently. So if I have employees that, um, you know, if you come to me and uh, let's just variable comp is a great, is a, is a, is a good one of, um, let's say you have a bonus plan for employees that is entirely dependent on how you perform it for the quarter. If you leave before the quarter ends, uh, you got to stay to like the quarter hasn't finished. So I'm one of those people, though, that if you've stayed, you saw us through the quarter, absolutely, I'll take care of you. But I'm not going to treat people differently just because of like one way or the other. You need to know that I'm going to treat you just like I would treat anybody else who came through this. And I think that's super important because I want to be treated fairly. I want to be treated equitably. Uh, and I don't think it's like facts and circumstances. I do think there's exceptions, don't get me wrong. But I think the underlying piece needs to be that, that you can tell, you know, I can look an employee in the eye and say, I treated you fairly. All right, that was uh, Michelle McCuma, Blue Core. Just a, a little insider note here, Brett. I, uh, you know, she opened up and she was talking about how it's not really about accounting and reporting anymore, and she was referring, of course, to the role of a finance leader. Uh, and I, I just want to point out, I was hoping she would go to talent, and wham, she goes right to talent. And I just want to point that out up front and uh, ask you what what you thought uh, about what she shared. Same thing. I, I was impressed with her comments along the lines that the financials are necessary, but not sufficient. Um, what I thought was interesting as she revealed her story was uh, the logic behind why marrying the financial portfolio and the human capital portfolio under one executive was a great idea. And uh, yes, they're both capital, you know, financial capital, human capital. But human capital performs differently, right? Financial capital, the more money you have in the bank, the more capital you have, the, the wealthier you are. With, with human capital, it's a transient thing. You never put it in the bank. It doesn't get stored. And it certainly doesn't increase in wealth if you just leave it alone, right? You have to keep nurturing people and developing them and giving them opportunities. So although they're both capital, they behave differently. And uh, you know, her comments about 
you know, having focus on diversity, equality, inclusion, and belonging are all great uh, perspectives in it's beyond the balance sheet, right? Uh, so I, I thought that was very interesting how she thought if I link the financial world and paying and rewards and compensation with human capital, then it becomes seamless. Then it becomes easy for organizations to make decisions about human capital and financial capital, even though they are different things. That was all interesting. But the part where she got me, the hook that just sunk deep, was when she talked about the importance of treating people fairly. Right. She wanted, wants to be able to look people in the eye and go, I treated you fairly. And that's super important because if the financial half of your brain takes over, I'm not so worried about fair. I'm worried about uh, the financial outlay. Uh, so the question is, you know, maybe I should be paying this person more, not less, becomes a more interesting conversation. Yeah, I, I really like the emphasis she put on a philosophy and she kind of poses that question. Do do we have a workforce compensation philosophy? Um, and I would think many finance leaders might uh, turn and ask that question and uh, a light bulb might go off. Interestingly, all these connection points, the way that uh, an organization connects with its employees are being challenged. Uh, now during COVID, of course, suddenly there's this realization that it's not just about the office space. So that's, you know, that's a really great observation. In fact, uh, it expands on what she said in terms of the logic behind linking the financial world and the human capital world. Here's what we know. We know that remote workers have taken a serious hit through COVID. If you take a look at Slack's research from August, um, July and August of this year, 2020, uh, the biggest issue is a lack of belonging. And if you take a look at what creates employee engagement, there are two large components. One is about you know, purpose, mastery, autonomy, those intrinsic rewards. But the other part is about the work environment. And we used to control that by having great offices and cubicles and coffee areas and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, it's the remote workers and we have to somehow help them have a better home office environment and feel uh, that they've got the right tools to effectively work in that home office. And if you don't provide that nicer home office, if you don't provide the better tools, employee engagement suffers. And that's what we're beginning to see in the research around uh, the COVID-19 syndrome. And so the idea of linking the financial and human capital world is super important because there's a whole bunch of expenditure that has to happen now, such as home office equipment that we didn't have in our budgets in January. Well, this might be a good segue to our, our next CFO, uh, Brian Whalen, who is a CFO of Branch, which is a, a financial wellness company. There seems to be quite a few of these uh, sprouting up. Uh, but Brian had some interesting thoughts on how uh, COVID and the pandemic has really accelerated certain trends that are really impacting uh the financial relationship that companies have with employees. So here, let's listen to Brian and what he shared with us. I'll be interested in hearing your thoughts on this, Brett. So I think the nature of the pandemic and what is, I think, loosely being called the K-shaped recovery is really driving uh, disparate outcomes for salaried versus hourly workers. And there's a particular uh, pain on the hourly worker side where the recovery is not as as robust. And so 
we are seeing uh, in our in our user base, and I and as a result, obviously in the employers, a lot of their employees are not able to make ends meet as they would have liked. Um, you know, if they were maintaining two jobs as an hourly worker, maybe they have one now, or maybe they've lost hours, and so as a result, uh, they are uh, the hourly worker is really struggling. Uh, as an example, we did a survey last year and redid it again this year where uh, 40% of the employees last year did not have uh, any savings, had $0 of savings for emergencies. And this year it's up to 52%. So 30% more uh, hourly workers have zero savings for an emergency. So you can imagine that that creates a lot of anxiety and challenges uh, that get brought into the workplace. And so you don't, you have to help solve that problem for your employees if you want to, them to be as uh, effective as possible. And to be frankly, as um, to be a human, a humane leader uh, of those, of those employees, you have to help that solve that problem for them. And so we get that feedback from the employers that, Hey, how do we help them get earlier access to their pay? Uh, how do we help them manage their money better? How do we uh, give them uh, banking products that maybe they're underbanked or unbanked to begin with, or maybe they're in a high fee situation? And how do we get rid of those fees for them so that they can uh, have more access to, you know, you know, without having to get paid more, they still have more money in their pocket. So we're seeing that uh, from the employers. And actually, we're even seeing it at a, at the aggregated level. We see workforce management companies who are coming to us and saying, the employers that we service are asking for this. Can you help solve that problem? And obviously some do it themselves. They're not always the most technology forward companies. Some are very old, you know, uh, 30 years old technology wise. And so they partner with people like Branch. And we work as an example with Domino's franchise uh, franchises to help get money into their uh, employees' pockets faster. Taking a step back, the shift to digital uh, in particular, and the, a little bit more of a cashless society today than we were six months ago. You know, whereas uh, at the beginning of the year, a, dim, a Domino's franchise might have cash in the till to help tip out the drivers at the end of the night for people who made electronics pay, electronic payments, you know, buying through the app, buying through the website. Today, there isn't that cash in the till in order to provide all of that tip out. And so as, a, as an example, we will provide a the branch card to the drivers and then they get paid their tips daily, right? They just instantly get their, uh, get their tips and mileage versus without the cash in the till, they would have to wait to the next paycheck. So they'd have to wait two weeks potentially to get access to that money that six months ago they were getting every night in order to pay for the gas for tomorrow uh, that they're going to need to do deliveries again. Um, so that's one of the great examples that we've seen where the shift of digital uh, really is bringing out a real problem for the employers and helping to provide uh, the pay to their employees and would actually have been a big step back to, to you know, put it on their payroll system as opposed to using branch to provide that uh, that tips and mileage on an instant basis. So we've been speaking with different finance leaders about the current environment and how it's become something of an accelerant 
uh, to trends and dynamics. What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? So what we're seeing is when we provide these services to uh, when an employee takes on the branch uh, as a as a as a banking service and has their debit card, they can instantly uh, set up an Apple Pay or Google Pay, which gives them instant access without having to wait seven days for a physical card to come in the mail as they would with a traditional credit card or debit card uh, from from a bank. And so now they can turn around with the device that they probably already have in their hand, uh, and you know, a, a smartphone, and go and make purchases uh, right right then and there. So uh, going back to the uh, Domino's driver, they could get their tips and mileage, and then they could go to the you know Apple Pay, Google Pay enabled pump, and tap their phone, and now they're paying for the gas for the fill up for tomorrow, and so they can keep doing their job. And it's enabled through technology from a process. And, you know, I think a year ago, you there was a lot of question around how are Apple Pay and Google Pay going to really accelerate? Cards were working fine. I think these this trend of, you know, contactless is really driving a differentiation that did not exist a year ago when, when these pay products were, uh, I wouldn't say struggling, but not really igniting uh, as they are today. Yeah, I I don't think there's any question. Uh, What an interesting offering to have at this place in time. Uh, The branch financial wellness offerings, uh, allowing uh, sort of employee empowerment, uh, more financial flexibility given given the environment out there. Anyway, I just thought much of what he shared was very timely. Oh, yeah, no kidding. You know, what's that expression? You to understand a person, you need to walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, his ability to see what it the experience is like for a low level employee, uh, and I mean low on the organization chart, uh, you know, like the drivers at Domino's and so on, just an incredibly interesting perspective. And then to problem solve around it, right? The, the ideas about uh, what he brings to the table in terms of financial magic to make their life better. So Things and and understanding your customers' customers' need, right? So, uh, you know, not having the cash in the till to uh, tip out the driver at the end of the day. How do you solve that problem? Well, you can only do that if you're super aware of what your customers' needs are, because no one's going to come to you saying, "Here's a problem I have." But if you understand their business, you can begin to empathize. What's that word I'm looking for? That's the word, empathize, with their employees and the dilemmas they have, right? A 30% reduction in savings, um, not being able to get the money to pay for gas for the trip tomorrow. Uh, you know, the immediacy of, uh, you know, the, the need at the, the human level at the customer. To me, that was like super interesting. So interesting. You've, you've prodded my memory. My, my intent was really to ask you up front at the start of today's episode about how the pandemic is challenging leadership approaches or management approaches as it relates to the workforce. Uh, and, but uh, maybe we can have something of that discussion here, or ask you to share some thoughts on what you've observed and what are the likely leadership lessons uh, that'll be 
taught during this unique place and time? Well, you know, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that um, much of the research that we did a year ago on work-life balance has been ringing true. So for example, or, or even employee engagement. So we're, we've always known that remote employees have a, a better feeling about their work-life balance. They always have a better feeling about their satisfaction with the working arrangement. Uh, they always have less stress about work. They always feel they're more productive. Now, what we saw in the early COVID months was a huge spike in all those areas. Like people were just, and to a large extent, people were just happy to still have a job. Uh, but as we move into what's been called the next normal or the next next normal, now we sort of assume that we have a job and some of the other issues begin to sneak in. And the biggest thing that we're seeing is the stress that's being caused by the social isolation and, and financial stress caused by COVID. Um, and part of this is, uh, you know, the opening up and then locking down again, opening up and locking down again. So people are beginning to feel more and more powerless. And research indicates they're looking at the statistics about COVID and they're saying, this doesn't make sense. The politicians aren't making decisions that make sense. They all have full-time jobs and guaranteed pay, whereas we're living on the cusp. Our, our you know, investments are down by 30% and all those other things. And so there's this uh, growing discontent that we're seeing across the workforce. What does that mean? It means that it's super important that CFOs that are conscious of human capital are proactively managing employee engagement. And employee engagement isn't an accident. It's not something that just kind of happens. And it doesn't necessarily happen these days by making a, a better uh, office environment or a better uh, meals on wheels or something, because we're not in the office, right? So we now need to begin using different tools to outreach and create remote employee engagement. Um, we see that there's an overlay on the leadership techniques. In other words, how I used to lead people a year ago when they're in the office, I need different techniques now when they're not in the office and I'm leading them through. And I don't have the subtle body language and other cues that I have used for the last 20, 30 years to hone my skills as a manager. Yeah, some nice insights there, Brett. Thank you. Uh, before we move to our third uh, CFO. Any uh, other thoughts on what Brian shared? With Brian, I think the interesting part on the human capital side is he's managed to get his team to understand his customers' needs, right? So his stories are all about these creative ideas they have, but you sitting in head office, you're never going to uh, understand those customer needs. So somehow he's got his sales force, his customer touch people to become a trusted advisor, to be able to talk to the customers and get into their customers' processes to learn things like this driver remuneration issue or paying for fuel. And that doesn't happen. You don't sit down with the customer, the customer just blurts those things out. So what's interesting is in this time of, you know, as I said in the introductory comments, social isolation and stress caused by COVID, he's managed to make his team more uh, empathetic with their customers and work harder at becoming that trusted advisor to understand what are the issues that their customers are dealing with. And I think that's fascinating. Now, 
then he's been able to convert that into uh, great products. But that first part um, is a huge step forward for any organization, uh, but you only can see it. Uh, it's almost like we heard in the first quote with Michelle, if I can connect the CFO office and the HR office together, then all of a sudden I begin to um, see things like what Brian's talked about that we wouldn't have seen before. Okay, well, we're up to our third CFO. And this finance leader is Marcus Harder, CFO of Contentful. And uh, this is a little different. Uh, Marcus shared with us a, an anecdote that uh, resonated with me, and I, I think you'll find it interesting as well. This is Marcus Harder. Jack, if you don't mind, it sounds bland. I'll give you a story about coffee. It's arguably one of my biggest career gambles. I don't mean like I need coffee in the morning to get me going. In fact, my secret is I, I hate coffee. I don't like coffee. But everybody at Contentful thinks that I'm the coffee connoisseur. So why is that? I, 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 I use coffee as a social experience. And, and so let's go to this big career gamble. Yeah, Contentful in Berlin was, is, is situated in an old warehouse building. Yeah, thick brick walls, metal doors, small floor plates spread over tons of floors. And all these floors have little kitchens and little coffee machines, had little coffee machines. So what I did, I said, we, did, we never see each other. We never talk to each other. We create silos. The thing that we don't want to have with the CMS, we're creating physically right here. We're creating silos and people um, don't get to know each other. And, and this incidental communication, that water cooler talk doesn't happen. So let's create a central watering hole for the organization where everybody meets and incidental communication happens. So here's the gamble that I took. I basically ripped out the kitchens. I didn't stock them anymore. Yeah, my team didn't stock them anymore. Um, even my team, my workplace team thought I was crazy. Like employees will hate us, that we will make them walk four, down four floors just to get a, a cup of coffee. Um, what are you thinking? Like this will get you fired. So I did a lot of advocating and uh, we basically built it. We built a central, beautiful cafe with a coffee machine that you could probably find in any third wave coffee shop uh, in Berlin. Um, and um, for the first two weeks when we opened this cafe, we brought a professional barista, an Italian champion in coffee making, to teach us. Everybody got a one-hour training, a small groups of people got a one-hour training, um, how to make the right coffee, how to froth your milk well, and so forth. And so now, whatever you want to drink, a coffee, a latte, an espresso, um, there's either somebody there who has been to the training or who has trained somebody else. You stand in line. There's just one coffee machine. You'd also imagine, okay, 300 people, just one coffee machine. How does that work? But actually, it works, and people socialize in the line, and um, they. it's a social experience that I celebrate every day, every morning. When I go to work, I will be in this cafe for minimum one hour. I will be approachable by everyone. And um, I'm celebrating that coffee. When I do one-on-ones, we go to the cafe, we make ourselves a coffee. If you drink tea, you can also make tea, right? Um, and uh, we are in the open. I am available. I am there. Ask me something. If you have some doubts, some questions, something you want to challenge me on, whatever it is. Um, and that being available really is, is something that, that 
this centralized cafe, the coffee machine in it, it has made. Yeah. So the coffee, I would like to claim, acts like the oil or the grease in a well-functioning system called the company. Well, that is CFO Marcus Harder. You know, I had originally wanted to share this clip with you and our listeners uh, because, like Michelle, I think Marcus is revealing something about himself that, as a finance leader, he understands that he has a stake in, in corporate culture. And here he very proactively set out to really help fortify or nourish uh, that culture. However, after hearing your your comments about social uh, isolation and its impact. I, you know, it's uh, it's nice to hearken back and, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I would have, I was thinking how nice it would be to stand in line uh, with coworkers again and be able to just sort of casually uh, network with them and socialize with them. Uh, but share your thoughts on what uh, Marcus shared, uh, Brett. Well, there, there are learnings there. I mean, you, you could dismiss the whole thing saying, ah, the good old days where I could, you know, make that that one common coffee area and stuff, uh, but extend that forward, right? The, the meme is change the environment, change the behavior. We've been forced to change the environment with all of our employees at this point. It wasn't our choice. They're now all remote working. And the genie is not going to go back in the bottle. We're not going to be able to get people back in perhaps because they've got seniors at home that they're caring for or young kids, they don't want the exposure to the office and bring that back, all sorts of issues. And the fact that some people like working remotely. So the genie doesn't go back in the bottle. So two core things, genie doesn't go back in the bottle, change the environment, change the behavior. So what could we do to emulate what Marcus did in that office environment for my remote workers? What if, um, I don't know, we had Starbucks deliver coffee to everyone uh, once a day, or uh, we forced everyone, forced, encouraged everyone to get into a Zoom meeting that didn't have a business agenda, or somehow for, you know, encouraged people to begin the conversation of saying uh, something that reveals an inner element that allows us to have the, the personal relationship that we didn't have before. I mean, the fact of the matter is, in this Zoom, in this uh, Zoom world and COVID, the people that we interact with are our, our friends and family. So people who think just like you, no diversity of thought, and people in a Zoom meeting where it's all about business. There isn't that uh, creative random input that you get from uh, people in the lineup at Starbucks or um, people you bump into at the mall or talking to an attendant at a store. All that random input is now filtered out. So the only stimulus we get is very selected and restricted. So how is it we can um, deal with some of that social pressure that people are experiencing um, around those elements? We've done some research and we've identified, I'm going to say, uh, seven key elements that we need to uh, specifically work on building into uh, how we interact on Zoom in the modern world. And I think as we go forward, this is gonna end up being um, sort of the new ways that we teach management. Uh, I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail, but the research basically indicates that we uh, need to do, uh, again, I'm gonna say seven things. One is, you know, we need to be better at naming and working through conflicts. We need to uh, create 
relaxed time together. We need to, which is, you know, a lot of what Marcus is talking about. We need to uh, careful manage intention and energy, right? The, the Zoom world is causing us to uh, be too focused on trying to figure out what's going on in the Zoom meeting and the, the body language, and it's exhausting people. So we need to manage that attention and energy. Uh, we need to establish some sort of regular cadence of contact so that you know many organizations have moved to the daily stand-up or weekly stand-up meetings. We need to you know, restate and clarify our priorities so that people understand their purpose uh, and what they're contributing to the business, even without that daily interaction with the rest of the team. We do need to practice more active listening, like sincerely listening to what people are saying and validate what you've heard. And then lastly, we need to have more reliable and practical support available instantly to the employees. And so these are overlays that we didn't have to specifically do a year ago because they happen accidentally as you're interacting. But our research indicates those are the seven elements which are now missing from these Zoom meetings and causing that social isolation that we're feeling. Britt, as always, uh, we wish we had more time. I committed uh, to you that I'd keep us at 30 minutes, so so we will bid farewell for now. But thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Catch up to you later. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe to Workplace Champions on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Workplace Champions, brought to you by CFO Thought Leader. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you.